G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 16 Preview Edition and uh, what a changeable world we live in, both football and generally, of course, the dreaded COVID pandemic rearing its ugly head all over the country and in, uh, well, a dramatic sort of about face from last year, uh, it's Victoria, which is now seeming to become almost a de facto hub for non-Victorian teams. Uh, as COVID flares up in, well, New South Wales, obviously, Queensland, um, WA, and uh, Victoria comparatively, a bit of a safe haven, but uh, those of us who live here, we've been through the worst of it. So uh, we certainly extend our sympathies to all those people involved and all those AFL teams involved too, because there's a lot of logistical toing and froing going on, and uh, we'll talk about that in some detail. Uh, this podcast always. Proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. One thing we never gamble on, though, is our health. As I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you doing, Fine? Are you staying safe? No problems. I'm in Victoria. I think we're going along pretty well. So, sort of, not de rigueur for COVID, we're the state looking on and at the moment, hopefully doing everything we can to keep it out, not trying to eliminate it. So we're, we've got a bit of a leg up. But I tell you what, I do have faith in the AFL and Gil McLaughlin has proved very adept over the last year and a half of guaranteeing that we'll get our nine games in this week and the clubs are, are agile and government's help as well. So I think it's now sort of viewed as almost a the Philip that the nation needs. And as long as basic rules can be stuck to, I'm pretty sure we'll get our nine games in a weekend, which is great. Yeah, look, uh, credit to the AFL where it's due. I mean, they, uh, they showed this last year that they were up to the task of making changes at the last second. Well, last couple of weeks. Uh, it's been even worse. In fact, I think Travis Old yesterday said that there were only three rounds so far this season that hadn't been affected uh, in some way or other by the uh, pandemic. So hopefully they can continue to stay abreast of it and we can continue to have a competition. I'll tell you one thing I've got enormous faith in, though, Fanny, and that is the greatest hamburgers in the universe. Tell us about it. They are good. They're great. Andrews Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Every last bit of them is good. The patty, if you go for cheese, and I do, it's a good accompaniment, accompaniment, I should say. The salad, 
all those fixings are perfect. But I think you've got to know how to make a burger to make a brilliant burger. And that's where the skill is. The assembly, the timing, the instinctive nature. They are sort of hamburgers equivalents to a highly skilled forward. I'd almost call them, I'd, I'd almost say that they're Liam Ryan-like in their intuitive brilliance of how to put together a burger. Yeah, that's who I think they are in the burger world, the brilliant, instinctive Liam Ryan. Well, that Anyhow. Might, that might not have been the best analogy given he's just been suspended for a week, uh, but uh, we know where you're coming from there. Uh, I'll tell you something I would, uh, well, I'd bet my house on the greatest home renovations in the universe too. I would bet my house, literally, because I'd get them to build it for me. Easy peasy, because I can tell you where to go, straight to West Point Properties. Nick Spartels will look after you with an eye for detail, with a absolute handle on the latest and best appointments that you can put in your house. If you've got value to add, they're your people. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. And enormous faith as well in our other partner at this podcast, Stats Insider a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, including this year's Wimbledon and European Championship. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for its full-season projections which has reinserted the Western Bulldogs as premiership favourites and whom win the flag in 20.7% of their simulations. Stats Insider also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis, everything on there free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. All right, we've got a lot to get through today. News, we've got previews, and we've got some fantastic footy flashbacks. Let's rip into it. On Footyology, News Feed. All right, well, one obvious news item uh, we need to talk about and bring you the latest on as we record, though, as we'd all be aware by now, that could all change in about 10 minutes. COVID capers and uh, it's started to take more of a toll and no more so than with this round we're about to play round 16 of course firstly the Sydney West Coast game being shifted from its original home down to the unlikely venue of GMHBA Stadium in Geelong that one now 1.10pm Sunday afternoon but more Fixture issues, Gold Coast Richmond, originally scheduled for Metricon Stadium, that now being played Thursday evening at Marvel Stadium at 7.20pm with Gold Coast as the nominal home team. That's a bit different. And one that is totally up in the air, the Fremantle-Carlton game, uh, originally scheduled for Optus Stadium in Perth, uh, as we speak to you right now, and it is uh, about 9.30am Wednesday morning, still two options for that game in play, either in Tasmania on Saturday afternoon or 
another one at Geelong, GMHBA Stadium, Saturday evening. Uh, this obviously will be worked out by some stage today, but uh, as we speak, pretty incredible to believe, isn't it, that uh, we're one day out from the first day, first game in a new round. We still don't know the time or venue for another game in that round. Uh, pretty incredible stuff, Fonny. I don't know how the AFL fixtures do it. Yeah, well, obviously there's a lot of not only coordination required from the AFL, but the clubs themselves have to move potentially a team and some, and of course the support staff. And there are things put in place and it just must be something that they're getting used to, but requires obviously a mindset to be willing to change and move very quickly and just go with the flow. Because one thing we've seen, the clubs have not dug their toes in or made any ripples whatsoever. So that's made it workable, I think. Look, in, in terms of the games that are being moved this week, I guess it's important for Fremantle. They would have much preferred to be hosting Carlton in their home state as Fremantle with that win over Collingwood still can push for the eight. That being said, they've got to beat Carlton wherever they play them and they beat Collingwood at Marvel. So they shouldn't be scared of playing in Geelong or in Tasmania. And Richmond would have, <laughs> I shouldn't say would have because it hasn't happened yet, would be expected to beat Gold Coast anywhere. Now, the other interesting sort of weight is, are we all just going to gather in Melbourne? Are we going to get this Melbourne hub, 18 teams here, and basically do in Victoria or Melbourne, Melbourne and Geelong, what was done on the Gold Coast and in Brisbane last year? Do you think that's what's going to happen, Robert? Uh, no, I don't really. I mean, it's, I mean, so we've got 16 of 18 clubs in Melbourne as we speak. The two exceptions are the two South Australian teams. They're a, a 40 minute uh, plane flight away. So I don't see why they need to be disrupted uh, if arrangements can be worked out about fly in, fly out for games there, which so far has been done. So, um, I mean, yeah, look, it is effectively a hub, but, you know, whether or not you officially call it a hub doesn't really make that much difference other than the, the headline writers and the uh, social media people for Fox Footy and Footy Classified and all those other hysterical footy shows that we uh, have to endure these days. It's worth running through what everyone's had to do, though. And the other thing that's worth noting in this um, story is the spirit of bipartisanship which is existing. I saw some picks from both WA teams of um, the Dockers and the Eagles sharing a chartered flight out of Perth. That was about 5pm Tuesday evening, uh, Eastern Standard Time, and they're all resplendent in their club uniforms and all the Dockers sitting on one side of the plane and the Eagles on the other side. It's like a, a school excursion or something. So <laughs> the, the two WA teams both headed over here yesterday afternoon. Um, Brisbane, they flew out with the Suns uh, on, also on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Brisbane, of course, coming to Melbourne so they can then go to Adelaide to play the Crows there on Saturday. Uh, so that's a bit different. Gold Coast, of course, they're going switched from Metricon. GWS have already been here for a week. They uh, flew out with Sydney 
I think, Tuesday last week and have been in Melbourne ever since. Uh, their clash with Hawthorne last week was moved from Giant Stadium. Were scheduled to play Melbourne at the MCG this week anyway, so that worked out okay for them. Uh, Sydney need to go down to Geelong to play the Eagles. Uh, All these chartering of flights is costing an arm and leg. We did say last week that three weeks of um, no games or or no crowds in Melbourne had cost the competition about $15 million. So, uh, geez, a whole lot of flights involved here. Uh, This is all coming at considerable cost. But, you know, given the situation exploding around the country it, it really is remarkable that they've been able to do it at all and you know I guess we've all got our fingers crossed that we can keep it going haven't we it's, it's amazing the psychology of, of lockdowns you know I've seen a lot on social media from people in Sydney particularly uh, reality is finally bitten I think and a lot of people sort of saying gee I you know I didn't realize what Victoria went through last year well they do now don't they it's a very different world to just social distancing and wearing a mask. Full lockdown is you're at home unless you've got a very, very good reason to nip out, you're at home. And they are hoping, of course, that the steps that they take will guarantee that they don't have to spend a month in lockdown. How long was our longest lockdown here in Victoria? It was close to two months, wasn't it? Oh, I think it was more, wasn't it? I think the one in the middle of the year from... What uh, it's all a bit of a blur, isn't it? I think there was yeah. one that was close to 12 weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? So, of course, there are many matters that take precedence over football, but football does become important. It is the national sport, it is enjoyed by so many people that when you are in a situation like lockdown, you the tedium is beautifully broken by looking forward to a weekend of football if you're that way inclined, which millions are. So it's it's an important part of the Australian landscape, not only in a sporting sense, but also in a sense of morale and, and, and mental well-being. Well, as we said, fingers crossed, we can continue to at least have some football to enjoy while people are locked away at home. Uh, plenty of uh, regulation football news going on in the meantime, of course. Collingwood looking for a new coach. Now, their coaching subcommittee has been on the case for a week or so already, and that consists of football manager Graham Wright, uh, CEO Mark Anderson, football director Paul Curia, and another board member, Peter Murphy. They have been joined as of yesterday by former Collingwood I bet you hate me saying this, former Collingwood Premiership player Luke Ball um, joining the hunt for a new coach there. And uh, there's actually a bit of a shortage of names thrown into the mix so far, but two very big ones that have been thrown up. Uh, It has been confirmed they have sounded out Sam Mitchell, uh, highly sought Hawthorne assistant coach. And uh, the latest name to be thrown into the mix, and probably not that big a surprise, Brad Scott, of course, coaching North Melbourne for a good decade and uh, more recently working for the AFL. But um, pretty highly regarded in the AFL. In fact, probably more highly regarded within the AFL than uh, by the punters at large, I'd say. Uh, Never seemed to sort of be seen as one of the more fated 
coaches, but his coaching record fine, he's pretty handy. 102 wins from 203 games in charge of the Roos. And this is the one that caught my eye. Eight finals with the Kangaroos. Well, he managed to win four of them and twice got them to a preliminary final. And I think uh, even they would admit it wasn't the most talented team you've ever seen. So interesting, Sam Mitchell and Brad Scott at the moment, uh, seemingly the front runners for that position. And they haven't sounded out well, yet anyway, either Ross Lyon or Alistair Clarkson. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know that you have all along been very bullish on not only Sam Mitchell being a good coach, but also the synergy with Lee Matthews and just the fact that the timing would be such that they could get a brilliant coach now or you might have to wait. (laughs) You might never get him. I think there'd be a queue for Sam Mitchell if there was a queue of teams without coaches. You know, there is another name that has been bandied about, Rowan, not specifically for Collingwood, but that he has been sort of mentioned in dispatches is Don Pike. And Don Pike's not a bad idea either, I would have thought. Yeah, well, uh, working at Sydney as an assistant and uh, getting some rave reviews there, actually, from people around that club about the work he's been doing. And, uh, yeah, look, easy to forget the job he did with the Crows. I mean, he came in and uh, pretty much immediately got him to a grand final. And things went off the rails, of course, with that infamous pre-season camp. Uh, but, you know, you've got to ask yourself to what extent is the coach responsible for that? So um, that was a pretty good coaching performance. They were the the best performed team of the 2017 season, even without winning the flag. So uh, it's not like there's a shortage of decent candidates around, is it? No, there's not. As soon as you get an indication that another club might be jettisoning a coach, though, the the chase is on or the race is on. So at the moment, Collingwood are operating in clean air. But as soon as another club gets rid of their coach, and we know that there are a couple, don't need to mention them, that are under huge pressure, that then makes the search a more urgent one and the announcement more urgent because you're it's a competitive market. Yeah, well, the coaching uh, situation is often a, a bit of musical chairs, clubs waiting to see what other clubs do and then acting quickly because they're worried about candidate X being snaffled by someone else. Uh, yep. So we watch this space, I guess. The message there, final news item I wanted to bring up this week is the case of the Richmond Football Club uh, going for its third flag in a row and a fourth in five years and uh, pretty much officially scratched in that regard by much of the footy world this week, including your good self and very good reason for that. They're in a, uh, a real pickle now in terms of form and injuries. Of course, Noah Bolter and Nathan Broad both out now until uh, probably the eve of the finals at best, still without Tom Lynch, still without Toby Nankervis, Dion Prestia to miss this week as well. Interesting press conference yesterday with Richmond coach Damien Hardwick at which he sort of put the cards on the table and said, yeah, we are in trouble, but uh, very strong in that message. We've been here before. 
uh, we are not giving up. And uh, I got to say, I'm one of the few people within Finey. Probably the most interesting aspect that came up in this presser was Hardwick talking about where their game style had uh, gone wrong and a few tweaks to be made. But one real issue for the Tigers this season has been their inability to score from turnovers. Now, that has been their modus operandi, really, for the whole duration of their their reign at the uh, top of the pecking order. But forcing turnovers, obviously, is one thing. Scoring, capitalising on those turnovers is the missing link. And... um, he, he was talking about needing to fix that. And it just made me think, maybe I'm looking for rationalisations here, but I just think if that is the, the major issue, it's not like we don't have uh, enough midfielders or we don't have enough key forwards. It's a game style thing as much as anything. And I, I think it's something that can be retreat. Do you, do you understand where I'm coming from there? Yeah, I do. But I do think that there is a personnel problem. So as much as a coach would have great faith in the playing stocks, I think there is personnel problems, but that's compounded by injury. And some players are just not playing as well as they were, and maybe they aren't the players that they were. You know, Cochran is now, he's not the player he was. He's sort of, um, (laughs) he's like a lot of champs that come to the end of their career. It's, He's a bit angrier and a bit meaner, but he's not covering the ground as well and not getting the ball as often. Dylan Grimes is really off compared to the commanding couple of seasons he's just had. Um, there are others. Castagna, I think Castagna's a, a sort of has a, is a role player, but if they're not scoring goals, then surely part of his role would be kicking goals. And we know that Rioli struggled for form this season. And the big problem is that none of the youngsters that they've put through the team have stepped up like their youngsters in previous years. So that's, I think, where they are personnel-wise. It's certainly... Yeah, go on. And just on what Hardwick said, you know, I'm surprised he he had a real crack back at Gernos that suggested that they couldn't make the finals and said that they were looking to make a headline or create talk back or whatever. No, I think if it was a fair discussion amongst people talking about the game and it was always going to come up, simply asking the question, can they still win the flag or will they win the flag? And when put on the spot, you have to give an honest answer. You just give your assessment. I don't think people were looking to um, create headlines because it's not a headline, really. It's, It's not. It's a fact that they're they're now in an unlikely position to win the flag. And that's because of their form and because of personnel problems. Just a final bit of food for thought about uh, the Tigers scoring from turnovers issue. It takes me back to late 2017. Now, um, I remember writing about this at the time and it it is absolutely a, a flashpoint in Richmond's resurgence so it's not like they weren't going pretty well already in 2017 but they arrived at the final two games of the season having just lost to Geelong down at Geelong 
and they were having issues scoring. In fact, in the previous uh, nine games, they'd topped 100 points just once, only managed 66 points against the Cats in that loss, albeit narrow loss to uh, Geelong at GMHBA Stadium. The real turning point for them, and it came so late in the season, was the second last home and away game against Fremantle over in Perth. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, they were brilliant. Well, they ended up winning by 104 points. Jacob Townsend came into that side and kicked five. Uh, They kicked 25-5. They would go on in their final five games, including that one, to top the 100-point mark four times out of the five, including two finals. And it was also the moment, uh, just a couple of inclusions and, you know, not names necessarily anyone was familiar with, but they ended up going on playing in the premiership and becoming established parts of that team. Uh, Obviously Townsend was one and he played an important role in that final series, but the other two, Nathan Broad and Jack Graham, who have gone on to be, um, you know, best parts of that uh, that best 22. So, um, I don't know, just when he said that about the scoring from turnovers, it took me back to that moment. So, I'm not giving up yet. I reckon they might make a couple of little tweaks in both in personnel and positioning of particular players. And uh, I'm just wondering if this game against Gold Coast might be the equivalent to that game against Fremantle back in 2017, or indeed that famous game for Geelong against Richmond in 2007 when a side, uh, the light bulb goes on and a side's fortunes are swiftly changed. Then again, I just could be trying to rationalise my continued faith in Richmond to deliver the goods. Time will tell. All right, that's enough news for this week. We have nine games to get stuck into. Let's do it. On Footyology, previews with Punch. First game of round 16, Thursday night football. Back on again, 7.20pm, Marvel Stadium, Gold Coast, taking on Richmond. Of course, this game originally scheduled for Metricon, uh, changed because of the COVID situation. Because of that change, Palmer Bet haven't as yet got odds on this one. Never fear, they will be there, though. Uh, just check back a little closer to game time on the Palmerbet app or at palmerbet.com. Always remembering to gamble responsibly, of course. Stats Insider tell us with this one, according to their futures model, Richmond's 62.7% finals probability means they are the most vulnerable among the current top eight teams. While they are now a 94.3% chance of missing the top four, for the first time since 2016, which, of course, was the last time they missed finals. Richmond won the contested possession count in five of their first seven games this season. This is telling. They've won that stat just once in their last seven matches. Now, selection's been an issue for the Tigers with their legion of injured Stars all season, finally, and uh, assuming, given the injuries last week to Bolter and Broad, that it's a massive issue again this week. It certainly is. Bolter not playing, Broad not playing, of course. Dion Prestia, who seemed to get through the game, has trouble with his hamstring again, not playing. Mubby or Choll dislocated his finger quite badly, and they've got to assess that during the week. 
he may or may not play. They welcome back Asprey. They do, uh, if you believe Damien Hardwick, which we have no reason not to, we'll welcome back Tom Lynch. Mansell, the sub, last week will probably hold his place in the team. And they've surely got to look at Josh Caddy playing or Rioli or both of them because they can't play Samson Ryan again. The kid's not ready. He had no kicks, no marks, no handballs, no tackles, one hit out and played over 50% of game time. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see some big changes, mass changes there. And as far as their opponents, they'll be well served because Collins is ready to come back and we know how important he is and David Swallow. Caleb Graham will make way for Collins, I imagine. And you could pick, you know, many that could make way for David Swallow. We'll just have to wait and see which way they go. But maybe Alex Sexton, who hasn't been able to hit the scoreboard this year, steps aside once again. Look, this game, Richmond, it's inconceivable that they would lose to Gold Coast with their surely backs to the wall has been where they've played their premiership football in recent years. Now, their backs weren't necessarily to the wall against St Kilda, but the performance against St Kilda put them fairly and squarely in the spotlight. So they were ready to head up to the Gold Coast, play at Metricon and put their best foot forward, even with those injuries. Now, the game's at Marvel. That makes it probably easier for them. When I say probably, there's no reason why they shouldn't be playing brilliantly and, and pantsing Gold Coast anywhere. Gold Coast were pretty game against North Melbourne, but showed that they are a bottom of the ladder team in a low skill, if not highly contested game. Let's just see whether Richmond's forward line reignites with Lynch and Rewalt because two goals stood out. Well, we we heard the record how long it's you know how long it's been since they've scored so poorly at the G nineteen twenty seven. So they have to get that forward line operating. Everybody expects the win. We just wait to see what fashion that win is. Okay, I take it that means you are going for the Tigers pretty comfortably. <laughs> I'll say Richmond by 63 points. Yeah, well, I'm going to join you on this because uh, I'm a pretty conservative tipster, certainly with my margins, but uh, not in this one. I reckon the comeback starts here. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Lynch likely to come back. Uh, not too many other changes, but I, I think there's going to be a real flicking of the switch in terms of attitude here. Gold Coast, well, the scores indicated they weren't far off it last week, but I don't know if the balance of play did. I think uh, North really inaccurate in that game. They could have beaten up Gold Coast by a lot more than they did. So I'd take that one with a grain of salt. And I've just got visions of that uh, Geelong game against the hapless Tigers in 2007. That's not to say I think this will be in the order of 100-plus points, but I think it's going to be pretty convincing. I reckon the Tiger train launches from this particular game. The other factor here, Marvel Stadium, of course, uh, there is a view that Richmond don't play this nearly as well. There might, might be something in that. Nonetheless, they've still won 9 out of 13 at this ground since their revival began in 2017. So the comeback's on, Finey. I'm going for the Tigers to win this one by 72 points. Uh, fairly healthy margins there for both of us. That is Thursday evening, and there's a big game down the road at the Cattery on Friday night. Ah! 
Geelong taking on Essendon at GMHBA Stadium or Cadinia Park, as it was uh, called last time the Bombers played down there, which is nearly 30 years ago, all the way back in 1993. In fact, I was having a think about just about every member of that Essendon side uh, wouldn't have even been born when that game was last played. I dare say a few have been to the ground in various guises since then, but it's a different-looking fixture and certainly a chance for the Cats to show their wares at home against a uh, a bigger-name opponent because a lot of the um, discussion about that home ground advantage always talks about, oh, they get to play the, the weaker teams and the non-Victorian teams. Well, not the case this time. Uh, Palmer Bet have the Cats very warm favourites, $1.23 on the head-to-heads. Essendon paying $4.20. Stats Insider say an indication of just how tight this season is can be found with the Cats, who last week were Stats Insider's premiership favourites, yet within seven days have slipped to fourth. Very tight at the top. Essendon, meanwhile, are just a game out of the eight and have a 31.4% chance of making finals which suggests they are the best-placed team out of all the clubs currently on the outside of the eight looking in. Uh, what might either do at the selection table, Finey? Well, actually, it's a bit up in the air for both teams. They're not impacted so much by injury, but by the fact that they both lost last week and a couple of players on either side were struggling for form. Now, Geelong will bring back Ryan Myers. I'm sure of that. He was playing well when he got injured. Uh, that was against Sydney up in Sydney. He started like a bomb that day. And his form just coming back through the VFL warrants. It. Who goes out? Maybe Sean Higgins. Um, look, Dallas was great the week before, but last week he didn't get a kick. So I wonder whether there's pressure on him. I know they like playing Dalhouse, so I don't think so. And do they start to address their ruck problems? I think they need to. And Asava Radigalia has been a bit of a disappointment. I wouldn't be surprised if Stanley comes back. As for the Bombers, word about that Nick Cox may be rested this week. His form has tapered a little bit. Um, would you be surprised if they gave him a bit of a spell run? No, I wouldn't. He's looked very fatigued, uh, not just last week, but I'd say the last probably three games he's played. And there is a bit of a whisper around that your mid-season draft selection, who was an emergency last week, could press for selection, Sam Durham. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. As far as the game's concerned, Essendon were given a snowball's chance in hell of heading west and getting a victory, of course, when they played over against West Coast Eagles and they just were fantastic. Going to Geelong is an enormous assignment, but one that I think the players would relish. Why would they relish it? Because they've been up for the challenge all year, haven't they? It sounds like I'm going to tip them, but I'm not going to tip them simply because that Geelong forward line that was well held by Brisbane last week has a few credits in the bank. And I just believe, especially at GMHBA, where they have clicked, that it's going to be very hard for the Bombers to keep a, a, a handle on those big forwards. Can Zerk Thatcher cope with Hawkins? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe. Um, look, the defence stood up really well last week, but against Melbourne, I thought. But 
it's a much harder assignment. I think that's where they lose it with that strong forward line. And also with Dangerfield, just showing a bit more form last week. I think he goes into the middle and makes it a little bit easier for the likes of Selwood, who's seemingly doing it on his own. So for mine, it is the Cats, not by a thumping margin, but by 17. And you said it was 1993, Rowan, since Essendon has played there. Do you know the last time Essendon played there, Dustin Fletcher was playing in his 14th game of league football and Ben Graham made his debut. Yep, yep, uh, a long, long time ago. Uh, I'm with you on this one. A couple of reasons I favour the Cats. The home ground advantage, uh, I've done the numbers on this figure now, so I'm going to keep quoting it. 97 wins from their last 108 games on their home ground, a uh, winning strike rate of nearly 90%. And also their record against Essendon. In fact, I think Geelong's, uh, without having checked, I think Geelong's record over, say, a 10, 15-year period against Essendon would be as dominant um, as against any side or flip the coin. I think Essendon's record against Geelong is as negative as its record against any other opponent. The Cats have consistently had that uh, had the better of them to the extent where the Cats have won 17 of the last 21 meetings between these two teams. And that run goes all the way back to 2004, a year when they actually played each other in a semi-final. So Geelong have been consistently too good, uh, too strong, too skillful. And I think that's still the case. Uh, maybe not to the extent it has been on other occasions. Uh, Geelong just going last week, but they had played pretty good footy prior to that. I think I'll do it again. I think the Bombers will keep them honest. Look, they had a lot of players down last week. In some respects, it was a fair effort to push Melbourne as far as they did, given the number of key contributors who didn't play that well. But I think you need everyone on song if you're going to beat Geelong at Geelong. Can't see it. Uh, I'm going for Geelong to win that one by 22 points. Which brings us to Saturday's menu. First on the card, Saturday afternoon, and this one hasn't changed, was always scheduled for this time slot, 1.45pm at the MCG. It is Melbourne taking on GWS. GWS, of course, losing at this same venue last week to Hawthorne. Melbourne playing there as well, um, a hard-fought win over Essendon on the back of which they will go in very strong favourites in this game at Palmerbet paying $1.16 on the Demons head-to-head and the Giants a pretty generous $5.30. Stats Insider tell us that while the Demons are on top of the ladder, they rank third for total quarters one and third for total percentage. They also have the fourth hardest run home, according to Stats Insider's scheduled difficulty model. Melbourne has also been out-tackled in four straight games and lost the clearance count in three of their last four, all of which has added up to the Western Bulldogs taking over from them for the league's best points per game defence. It is a magnificent defence, though, regardless. And one area, I looked this up yesterday, one area where it absolutely does excel is fewest points conceded per opposition inside 50, that intercepting duo of May and Lever ruling supreme. Uh, either side considering much uh, alteration to the 22 finding. 
Well, here's the interesting thing. Melbourne have got some players knocking the door down, trying to get in or back into the seniors. Now, are they going to give Ben Brown a go? Surely this week they will play him if they intend playing him through the finals or going with that bigger forward because he kicked five goals in the VFL last week. So now's the time. Jake Melcham is another forward option. He had 24 possessions, two goals in the best on ground performance. And the veteran, Nathan Jones, who has to tick off on his 300th at some point in time, had 36 touches. But there's no one getting injured at Melbourne. Maybe Tom Sparrow, who seems to be the first casualty when somebody has to come back, could be in danger. I can't see anybody else. Charlie Spargo's made that forward line spot his own. And he's played very well, both in a defensive sense and as a hit-up leading player, surprising for his size. Cosy Pickett's a must. The back line is untouchable. You wouldn't go near it. The midfield seems to look after itself. And the likes of, you know, Jordan and Rivers are, are musts in the team. So knock the door down, but there's no room at, no room at the inn, gentlemen. Maybe one change. As for GWS... Well, they are more... You know who's going to play this weekend, Rowan? Uh, I'm tipping Shane Mumford. Yeah, no. Stephen Canilio and uh, Hogan are both available, but they've been told that they're going to come back through the VFL. So, a bit of a forgotten man, Canilio. That'll be interesting when he comes back into the team, by the way, as captain, given how well Toby Green has performed as captain and how well the players have responded to him. Look forward to that dynamic. This week, Mumford should come in for Briggs. They thought he would play last week. And Tom Green was brilliant after getting dropped to the VFL. He dominated there. So he demands a spot back in the team. And there should be no problems finding players to miss out after that disappointing loss to Hawthorne. A number of players in the gun. Melbourne would not... You know, they've had quite a few games this year where they haven't been brilliant, but they've got the job done. And I felt that that was the case against Essendon because they didn't really take advantage of some of their domination in possession for the first three and a half quarters. And then Essendon actually clicked. And Melbourne can consider themselves fortunate that Essendon were not more, first of all, accurate in front of goal, but also more decisive and just more... um, more skilled. They they sort of fell at the final hurdle. Otherwise, Essendon would have won that game. In Melbourne, GWS have been very disappointing in that they've only got two points from the available eight against North and Hawthorne. But we've sung their praises for a lot of the season. So what I'm suggesting is Melbourne should not take this as a foregone conclusion, but we tip Melbourne, or I tip Melbourne, because of their ability to not play brilliantly and get the job done. Is that a sign of a good team? I don't know. I've got I'm a wax and wane. So I've got them winning by 11 points only, Rowan. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. In fact, uh, that was going to be the hypothesis I put forward as well, that um, a sign of a good side is when it struggles but still gets the job done. And, you know, look, to look at that game last week, might be selling Essendon a bit short to say they struggled. Essendon uh, weren't, weren't terrible um, and pushed them all away, wasted a few opportunities, might have won that game. Nonetheless, Melbourne were able to stand up and deliver the knockout blows when they needed to. And as you say, that's been the case a number of times this year. It hasn't been one of those seasons where they've just 
swept the world before them and everyone's in awe of them. And that's probably, to be honest, to their advantage because it might mean a little less hype about their flag chances. And that's probably exactly what they need. I reckon they are very solid side in all areas. There is that tiny bit of a question mark around the forward setup, but I still think they're good enough to kick a winning score against GWS, against whom their record of late has been pretty decent. They've won three of the last four against the Giants. I was having a look at the Giants on the MCG too, and they're about 50-50 there over the last little while. Of course, uh, one of the worst defeats, that 2019 grand final. But uh, that defeat last week, although only 18 points in terms of status, probably one of the worst as well, because that is a game they absolutely need to win. And I think that might be the one which, uh, as much as any defeat this year, costs them a finals berth. Uh, So my theory is you're not going to beat Hawthorne there. You're not going to beat the top of the table side there. I think Melbourne wins this one reasonably comfortably. I'm going for the Demons by 30 points, which takes us to game two on Saturday. Adelaide Oval, 4.35pm Saturday Eastern Standard Time, sees the Crows taking on Brisbane, who will be arriving from Melbourne to play them there. Yes, one of those COVID complications, but at least the game still where originally Scheduled uh, Palmer bet, of course, not weighing in with odds for this game due to the changed circumstances. So check back closer to game time on the Palmer bet app or at their website, www.palmerbet.com. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Stats Insider on this one say that the Lions are playing an incredibly quick and direct style of football leading the league from a kick-to-handball ratio perspective and scoring like crazy in the process. This could be a massive problem for the Crows as they've been very easy to score against all season. In fact, only North Melbourne ranks worse in terms of opposition points per disposal. This game pits the AFL's best team from generating inside 50s up against the league's fourth worst for conceding them. So not a good marriage of statistical categories there for the home side. Uh, what about selection, Finey? Very easy. Rory Sloan's out maybe for the year with that finger injury. And Andrew McPherson was the unused sub, so they might turn to him. And for the Brisbane Lions, Birchall is back in the team and Payne will miss out, which is a pain for him because it's a hard spot to hold down in that back line. Adelaide are a hard team to beat. They're certainly very hard when that forward Taylor Walker is engaged and most games this year he has been. And when he's on, not many people can beat him. We saw them last week have one bad quarter against Carlton and they were in the game right to the end, but almost backing up your idea idea that if you're not beating Hawthorne at the G, you're not beating Melbourne at the G, well, I'm taking the grounds out of it. But if you're not beating Carlton, you're definitely not beating Brisbane. And that does not factor in the home ground. But here's a Brisbane team that are... You see, what I love about Brisbane, Rowan, is that they are playing both sides of the coin of football excellence really well. And that is, there's plenty of class there. We see it when they transition the ball and it's in the hands of a McCluggage or Zorko's bursting through, the forward line is dangerous on different scores. 
whether it's Cameron at the drop of the ball, McCarthy is a small forward who marks, Danaher, Hipwood. So they've got the, a lot of brilliance about them, but they also know how to get their hair must and come out on top. They are a good, desperate football team, and maybe that division is headed up by Robinson and Robertson. Isn't Devin Robertson a, a Robertson a, a bit of a find? He's a tough goer. So they play those. They play it hard, well, and sometimes you need to do that against Adelaide in Adelaide. It can be that sort of afternoon or night, and here we're talking afternoon, where it can be a bit of a desperate battle. We saw Melbourne lose that battle, but I think Brisbane are up for it if, if it gets tough, and if it's played on their own terms, they'll command the game. So I'm going for Brisbane by 27 points. Yeah, I think they'll win it pretty comfortably as well. I was doing a, a bit of uh, number crunching on them yesterday. I wanted to have a more detailed look at why they're a better side this year than the previous couple. There's no doubt for me, whilst Stats Insider say they're uh, flying in an offensive sense, they're flying in a defensive sense as well. This is a much tougher version of Brisbane, and that was really driven home, I think, last week against the Cats. They really subjected them to a level of pressure Geelong simply couldn't cope with. Their numbers stack up as well on that score. Uh, offensively, Brisbane has been ranked one, two or three each of the past three seasons. Defensively, they've been only seventh for fewest points conceded of the last two years, but they are currently third. So it's partly about their back six, but it's also about the uh, greater defensive pressure there on ballers, midfield, and even forwards are placing on the opposition. So a very good sign. And I think generally it's just a sign of a side which now has a couple of finals campaigns under its belt, has more experience under its belt, and is ready to rock at the pointy end of a season. In terms of the opponent and the venue, well, their record against the Crows pretty miserable until last couple of years. Uh, their record at Adelaide Oval, also pretty miserable. Uh, in fact, only one win there from seven attempts, but uh, going to make it number two. The other quirky thing about this matchup finding, it's another one of those games between sides that don't play each other very often. In fact, this will be only the sixth clash between these two sides in six years. That's right, from 2016 onwards, the Crows and the Lions have played each other only once per year. So uh, time to reacquaint themselves. And I think it will be Brisbane that emerges a lot happier after the meeting. I'm going for Brisbane by 40 points on this one. Uh, that's Saturday Twilight. Let's talk about Saturday evening. All right. I did say let's talk about Saturday evening. Now, this game probably more likely to be Saturday evening although it could be in a different state on Saturday afternoon. That's about where we're at. So apologies in advance if it doesn't quite pan out like this. We do know, however, who is playing who, if not where or at what time. And it is Fremantle taking on Carlton, that game originally scheduled for Optus Stadium, where obviously the Dockers would have preferred it remain. That can't be the case. So it might be in Geelong. It might be in Launceston. At this stage, who knows? Uh, that makes the odds pretty difficult, and it's why Palmer Bet don't have them as yet. Check closer to game time when we've got some idea where and when this game will be played. 
or on the uh, website, palmerbet.com. Stats Insider say that it's worth keeping in mind while Stats Insider futures model is only giving the Blues a 10.4% chance of playing finals. They do have the league's easiest fixture from here on in. Just two of their last eight games against teams currently in the top eight. This was just the sixth time in the last five years that Carlton have cracked 250 uncontested possessions. For context, that's a number the Cats have surpassed seven times this season alone. Uh, so some improvement there for the Blues and uh, certainly a morale-boosting win over Adelaide last week, if nothing else. Uh, on a relative high coming out of that game, finally, will the Blues consider any or many changes at the selection table? They better because they've got one injured player and one suspended player, so they'll have to replace them. And I speak of the disappointing Zach Williams, who's been suspended for a week. And Mark Murphy, who's got an injury concern in the shadows of his 300th game, won't be playing replacements. I feel that they probably will play Levi Casbolt, not a like-for-like, but with DeConning on his own in the ruck last week. Do you know who their second ruckman was? Did you see that? No. Jack Silvani. All right. Crazy. (laughs) So they can't go up against Sean Darcy with that armoury. I've got a feeling they might call on Casbot. He's available after serving a one-match ban in the VFL. And Nick Newman came on as the medical sub and did pretty well. So I think he'd be considered also. As for Freo, one out, one in. Tabena, we know, went off injured last week. Fife was a late withdrawal. That'll be the change. These teams are pretty evenly matched. So I'm not upset at the prospect of this game being played at a neutral ground. Almost makes it a bit of a line ball game. Which of the real of these two teams turns up? Because we know that they have various personalities. One personality that Carlton has sees them during games concede a run of goals and lose those games, not necessarily get pulverised, but they just lose the handle on concentration for periods during games. And that's cost them many wins this season. As for Fremantle, Despite that good showing against Collingwood, you're almost almost um, instinctively tipping against them when they step on a plane and leave the confines of WA where they're so seemingly more comfortable. But that was a good win against Collingwood and they got great service out of Schultz, Bewley, Aish. What I'm saying is they didn't have to rely, obviously they couldn't rely on Fife, they can't rely anymore on Walters because his form has gone completely out the window. He doesn't get the ball. He's poor in front of goals now. I hope he finds some form or some confidence because he's beautiful to watch when he does. Look, I'll stick with Fremantle or I'll go for Fremantle on the basis that their best football, I think, has has Carlton covered. They've got a back line... Now, with Pierce and Logue and Ryan, that might be able to do what others haven't done, and that is put the quietness on Harry Mackay. Because you feel for Carlton to win games, Harry Mackay needs to really grab hold of the game at some point in time, which he invariably does. But they've got some good big, big options down the back now, DeFrio. So I'll back their back line to stand up, and I'll back them to win by 21 points. 
All right. Uh, well, this is where our paths differ. You ran through a, a long list of Frio players there. James H, very impressive last week. I'm confident about his prospects of backing it up this week. He's been eating and sleeping particularly well. And <laughs> That's your son. I've kept him <laughs> off the PS5 for much of this week. <laughs> and if you're not following that, uh, that's uh, an hilarious uh, lookalike, uh, James Aish and my son, uh, which may be unfortunate for my son. We, you don't... know what that means, Rowan? What? That Jared Healy thinks that um, Wilson looks like your son. Oh, yes. Uh, Jared Healy henceforth to be called the Jared uh, because he can't not call the West Coast or the, the GWS. So he is, <laughs> he is now the Jared and my son is James Ash. Anyway, enough levity. Uh, look, that was a really impressive win by the Dockers. No two ways about it. Um, I'm still sceptical about their record on the road generally. And, and look, this isn't even a shot at them. I'm, you've got to really, I think, um, take some points off sides that have been thrown into this level of chaos. So it's not only the uncertainty, it's the travel as well, same applies with West Coast. You know, I mean, it's tough anyway for the WA sides having to cross across the country. Uh, tougher still when you don't know if you're going to be playing in Victoria or Tasmania, if it's going to be on a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon. Um, and against a side which uh, just recently has had their measure. In fact, the Blues have beaten the Dockers the last three times. Um, they beat them pretty comfortably. Uh, earlier this season at Marvel Stadium. That was pretty inept showing that day by the Dockers. And they beat them but two times before that in Perth, of course, courtesy of the post-Soren Jack Nunes goal last year and uh, the year before Mark Murphy's goal close to Soren time. I, th- I think Carlton are a bit of an emotion team. I reckon when they, you know, spirits are up and they get a bit of a run on, they can play some really good footy. And uh, I reckon they'll get a real buzz out of last week. And I think they're good enough to win this one. I don't have confidence to tip them by a lot, but I am going for the Blues to win this one by six points. Uh, So that's that game. Could be Saturday afternoon, could be Saturday evening. Uh, We do know of another game definitely on Saturday evening, though, and let's have a chat about that one. 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time, this one at Marvel Stadium. It sees Hawthorne taking on Port Adelaide. Palmer Bet have the odds for this one head-to-head and they have Port Adelaide. Reasonably warm favourite despite playing away, paying $1.33 the power. Hawthorne, you can get $3.35 head-to-head against the power for the Hawks. The Hawks have enjoyed their best stretch of the year, say Stats Insider, winning two of their last three games, a 13-point loss to Essendon, the only blemish. Crucially, they're getting a lot of games into their kids as well, with the Hawks playing eight guys with less than 50 games against the Giants last week. Half of those performing really well, picking up at least 20 touches. All that said, this is another game for Port against a non-top eight opponent, the likes of which have seen Port salute 16 straight times. They are very good at dispensing with inferior opposition. Finey, uh, the Hawks would be aware of that. Are they thinking about any changes or are the Power thinking of any changes? Well, there's one 
change guaranteed, and that is last week's medical sub for Hawthorne, who was used. Sean Burgoyne will be part of the starting 22. You can put your West Point property house on that one because he's going to play his 400th game and he's going to do it fittingly against Port Adelaide, who he played the first part of his career with. They've also got to find a replacement for the first gamer last week who got concussed, Denver Granger Barras. So the likely replacement there is, um, well, that'll be Burgoyne, say, but the wind guard's out as well. He went off injured, a likely hamstring injury. And they might give another chance to Emerson Jecker, who kicked four goals in the VFL. He didn't perform all that well when he had his first crack at league football, AFL level. And they say he's got a lot of ability, and I think that they will defer to youth there. As for Port Adelaide, uh, Sam Mays came on, and we know he kicked a, an all-important goal and had another shot at goal right near the siren to guarantee a win for Port in that nail-biter against Sydney. He probably comes in for the first game of Dylan Williams, who did some nice things, but maybe not enough to hold his spot in the team. If Hartlett doesn't... Uh, sorry, if McKenzie doesn't come up, they say he's a chance that he will. He looked like he was seriously injured, but he may still play. If he doesn't, expect Hamish Hartlett to return to the team. Well, gee, Hawthorne have been good recently, haven't they? Great win against Sydney up in Sydney. They take on GWS with a very young team, and it's the likes of Moore, Will Day, Bramble, who get them over the line. Of course, Mitchell's always there, and McAvoy at the other end of the age scale. Port Adelaide. We waited for them to have a, a substantial win, a win against quality opposition. Yet Sydney are quality, but on top of that, Sydney played really well. That was a cracking game of football. It, it takes more than just saying, yeah, they beat Sydney, top eight opposition. No, if you watch the game in full, you would have been doubly impressed, as you and I were, because of the the power that Sydney threw at them. I mean... You know, Franklin, four goals, kicked goals in the last quarter, came at them like a train. Parker brilliant in that last quarter. The good players or the brilliant players played brilliantly and other players chimed in. And that's why I think Port impressed me more than just the four points and will beat Hawthorne because it was a bloody good win. Both was great after being held early. Their big man, Charlie Dixon, got some freeze, but he was still a target. And everybody put in with courageous efforts from the likes of Houston getting them over the line. So I don't think they stumble at this hurdle, even though it'll be a big day for the Hawks and a slightly big day for Port celebrating Sean's Burgoyne's 400th game. It is a massive occasion, finally. We tend to uh, brush over some milestone games, but uh, when someone becomes just the fifth man to play 400 games of AFL football. You cannot ignore it. Of course, the others, Michael Tuck, Kevin Bartlett, Brent Harvey and Dustin Fletcher. So absolutely elite company for Silk. What an, an outstanding player he has been uh, with Port Adelaide. And don't forget that he did play in a premiership with them. And latterly, latterly for Hawthorne. Uh, fantastic fellow too, Sean. So... Congratulations, mate. Uh, hope it's an enjoyable one for you and duly uh, saluted by everyone, as I'm sure it will be. I'm not sure you're going to end up with a victory in it, though, uh, because I concur, Finey. I think, uh, and as Stats Insider concurs, Port are very, very good 
at beating the sides they should. And that was a real quality win over Swans who pulled out a top shelf performance and just got nudged out in the final moments. So a quality win for Power. Um, their record away, look, it's not outstanding, but I think of the away venues they have to play at, this is one which appeals more than most. They have played there once already this season, um, chewed up and spat out North Melbourne by 52 points. And they're about 50-50 at visits to this ground over a long period of time now. So they have played some pretty reasonable footy here, probably suits their running, free-rolling best, I I suspect. Uh, Not to take Hawthorne lightly by any measure, they have been pretty solid the last three weeks. Um, that uh, run could easily be three straight wins now. They didn't miss out against the Dons by all that much at all. And two other good wins either side of that. So certainly a danger game for the power, but uh, they have been pretty good at winning the games they should. And uh, last week showed finally uh, they can mix it with some top eight opposition as well. So they need to convert that form into a winning role uh, trying desperately to get a top four spot and an easier finals run. Important game for them. I don't think they'll stumble. I think they'll do it tough, though. I'm going for Port Adelaide by 18 points, uh, which brings us to Sunday. Well, first game on Sunday, it is a meeting of two great old rivals of the uh, mid noughties let's say, I'm talking about Sydney and West Coast, of course. Two epic grand finals contested between these two teams, 2005-2006. More on that later in the show. As for the venue, well, it's uh, changed between, well, the MCG and grand final day, uh, Subiaco, Optus Stadium, SCG. They've played at Stadium Australia. And now you can add a new venue to the mix, Geelong. Yep, this uh, pretty weird fixturing uh, necessity. Sydney taking on West Coast at Geelong, 1.10 Sunday afternoon. Uh, the odds pretty even, thanks to Palmerbet head-to-head. Sydney, a slight favourite, paying $1.80. West Coast paying an even $2. Uh, Stats Insider say that so much of West Coast system is about getting it in quickly and frequently to their big forwards. When this breaks down, they tend to really struggle. They lost the inside 50 count by 22 to the Bulldogs last week in that thrashing and took just nine marks inside 50. When the Eagles generate more than 45 inside 50s per game, their win-loss record is 7-1 this season. When they don't pass that 45 number, they are just 1-5 win-loss. Unfortunately for Sydney, meanwhile, they've kept opponents to 45 inside 50s or fewer just twice in the past 14 games. So uh, that's a very interesting stat, then, and one which West Coast would be very heartened by. What about uh, the ins and outs, finding anything to hearten either side there? Well, what does Sydney do? I've got a feeling that they might play Sinclair instead of Amati, given that they're up against Nat Nui and other tall timber that's available to the West Coast Eagles. It gives Hickey a bit of a chop out. And, and don't forget, Hickey's a pretty good performer when he goes forward. So Amati was okay 
a couple of it was good a couple of weeks ago, but certainly off the pace in that game against Port Adelaide. And well, they're probably going to replace Bell, who didn't have a big say either. Nick Blakey could move into the starting twenty-two. He's uh, surprisingly in and out of that team, isn't he? We thought he'd really kick on this year and step up as a frontliner amongst the youngsters in the competition, but it's been a tough year for Nick. I, th- I think he forces his way into the team, though. As for the West Coast Eagles, they can't consider Liam Ryan a big out, given that that forward line is screaming for more players to work harder at the drop of the ball. Zach Langdon, I thought, was unlucky to get dropped the previous week and performed well in the waffle. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in the team. And maybe they'll also call on the run of Witherden, the former Brisbane player, has found it hard to crack a regular spot in that team. But I've got a sense that they might use him this week and hope to get some run out of the back line. Luke Edwards might have to make way. West Coast Eagles go terribly down at GMHBA or Cardinia Park. That's against Geelong, of course. Maybe, just maybe, playing a non-game not against Geelong might finally get them fair income about the trip, long trip down the highway. As for Sydney, their form there is not too bad. I certainly remember a great win there in the recent past. When was that? Just three or four years ago. So as far as playing the ground, I think slight advantage to Sydney. As far as playing good football, big advantage to Sydney as per last week. West Coast were disappointing. They found themselves stymied. It was almost like every time they made a move on the chessboard, the Bulldogs blocked them off until it was checkmate. And, mate, they got absolutely pantsed in the finish, almost turning their toes up. This is too hard. We don't have the run. We don't have the ability to break through. And in the end, they rolled over. That's not a good sign. The other thing that worries me about West Coast, Rowan, is the fact that they're a long way from home. There might be a hub coming. And we know how they performed under such circumstances last year. They're pampered peaches, those West Coast Eagles. They need to be at home and they need their crowd and they need this and they need that. And Sydney will afford them none of that because they're a tough unit with plenty of good players playing well and stars in form as well. No worries for me tipping Sydney and I'll do so by, and sometimes I say this, a very comfortable 23 points. Yeah, I'm going for the Swans as well for all the reasons you pointed out. Uh, That was an incredibly poor performance by the Eagles at home and when they start playing like that at home, you know they're in trouble. A number of those stars returning, well, looks good on paper but uh, severely underdone and been out for long enough for them to, I reckon, really need a few games under their belt at least. And I think the venue, despite the fact they're not taking on Geelong, I think the venue is a big factor here. Uh, West Coast need a ground with width. Uh, They need it particularly in terms of the way their defence is structured. And I think uh, think it helps their forwards getting a bit of width uh, to be able to lead into as well. So I think that's been a factor in their terrible record at this ground as much as the opposition. And the record of the ground is so terrible. They've won there once in their last 13 attempts. And, of course, already having been taken apart by the Cats down there early in the season, 97 points. And uh, they did not fire a shot that day. They conceded something like 13 consecutive goals 
to the cat. So just turned it up and then throw in the disruption factor, which is very real. Always up to a Sydney win. Now, Sydney uh, needs to be talked about in terms of Cadinia Park because they fare better at this venue than any side other than the Cats. In fact, they have won three of their last four games at Cadinia Park, uh, lost by only 22 points a couple of years ago, but won three prior to that, and a couple of them pretty handsomely too, by 46 and 38 points. So they actually like this venue, believe it or not. I think that is a sizable factor in this game. And um, I think Sydney were pretty good last week too without getting the points. Uh, all those things point to a Swans victory for mine. Uh, not necessarily by a heap, but I'm going for Sydney to prevail by 10 points. That's the first game on Sunday. Let's talk about the second. 3.20pm Sunday afternoon, Collingwood takes on St Kilda. Of course, St Kilda coming off a big win at the same venue last week against reigning Premier Richmond. Uh, has that made a difference to the odds? Well, Collingwood's still the favourite, according to Palmerbet. Head-to-head, they are paying $1.78. The Saints paying $2.05. Uh, those odds may be updated closer to game time, so check that on your Palmerbet app or at the website, palmabet.com, making sure you always gamble responsibly. Stats Insider say not only did the Saints cause perhaps the shock of the season last week, but they did so with no less than 14 players with less than 100 games of experience in their team. Uh, they are now a 13.8% chance of playing finals this year. Still pretty minimal, but at least up from 7% last week. Last week, and despite winning the disposal count by 54, Fremantle was still able to generate an extra 11 clearances and four inside 50s against Collingwood. That could be a massive worry for the Pies here as the Saints smashed Richmond by 19 for clearances last week. Uh, what about the teams, Viney? Anything happening there? Yeah, a little bit. St Kilda cannot consider Nick Caulfield, who came in to the side last week for Billings, did his hamstring, so Billings can retake his spot in the team. Just swap those boys around. As for Collingwood, Bo McCreary will miss the best part of the rest of the season with a bad hamstring injury. Unfortunately, he's a good competitor, McCreary, and he's got a bit of a future, but not this year. And Mason Cox didn't work. I don't know why actually they, Robert Harvey brought him into the side. With Darcy Cameron performing well up forward and... You've got, obviously, uh, my check there as well. I don't know why you needed another tall man there. So I think he might miss out. And Braden Sear, who's in and out of that team on the old revolving door, was a star in the VFL and seems the obvious replacement. Callum Brown, the, un, the sub that was used last week, didn't really forward his case or do much for his case of retaining a spot in the team, I felt. So I think he misses out. I'm almost lifting my bottom jaw off the floor. Thank you, Palmer Bet, for those generous odds because I marked St Kilda pretty clear favourites in this. When I say clear, I think the Collingwood with their young players who are developing, Poulter and Bianco at the forefront there, are an honest team and they've got some promise for the future. Grundy was an important returnee, but uh, and and Dugowie is oh sorry, Dugowie's back in the team. He's a certainty to play. He's back 
of course, are available from suspension. So that improves their side. But that back line without Darcy Moore, it, it wasn't very dynamic. I mean, Roughhead's a bit of a body, but not a mover of the ball. And I, I feel that transition and, and being able to transition at the MCG is terribly important. And I trust St Kilda to do it more so than Collingwood. Look, it should be a hard-fought game. I think St Kilda, it'll be a great ruck contest, won't it? Because Cameron's in good form. He supports Grundy, but hard to beat uh, hard to beat Ryder and Marshall. And you know how big I am on how much a better team St Kilda are with those two in. I mark St Kilda as the team to beat. And I think they'll win a hard-fought game by 13 points. Yeah, I, I, this is a hard one to tip, I reckon. I, I just I thought Collingwood weren't far off the pace last week. Of course, St Kilda outstanding against Richmond. You can't ignore that. St Kilda at the MCG, well, they've won their only appearance there so far this season last week, of course, very convincingly. Lost their last three prior to that. Uh, it doesn't strike me as a great venue for them. Uh, nonetheless, Collingwood, significant loss of Darcy Moore, that really will cost them against a uh, forward line that seems to function effectively enough. And I think the ruck's the big one here. I'm, I'm uh, definitely with you on the importance of the Marshall-Ryder tandem. I, I just think St Kilda might have uh, got the mojo back with that win against the Tigers. It was impressive. It was tough. That's something you need to be against Collingwood. Uh, they generally give pretty decent effort, if nothing else. So uh, good reason for the Saints to start favourite. It is a bit surprising they're not favourite. So uh, keep that in mind. Saints supporting punters or any punters for that matter. But I'm with you, Fonny. I'm going for the Saints by this one. Reckon they're good enough to win this one by 16 points. Uh, That leaves us with just one game to be played in round 16. Final game on the card, 4.40pm Sunday afternoon. Battle of the co-tenants at Docklands. Uh, Western Bulldogs, the home side on this occasion, taking on North Melbourne. Now, Palmer Bet have certainly got odds on this one and certainly two pretty disparate prices. The Bulldogs, I think as hot a favourite as we've seen all year, just about paying $1.04 on the head-to-heads. And North Melbourne... Well, if you fancy a long shot, here's your baby. North Melbourne paying, courtesy of Palmer Bet, $11.30. Decent return there on the off chance of a North Melbourne victory. They are coming off a win, though. Don't forget that. Stats Insider say, obviously, a bit of a mismatch here. So we'll use the opportunity to glorify Aaron Norton. He leads the league in both total marks inside 50 and contested marks, while he's ranked third for total marks on the lead and total shots at goal. He also ranks ninth among key forwards for total pressure acts. And a reminder, this guy is still 21 years old, which is probably why he still has a haircut that looks disturbingly like the late Paul Gray, lead singer of Wawanee. What say you about selection, Finey? North Melbourne, no change. They will reward their 22 who went down to Tassie, came back with the four points. 
and let them go around against the Bulldogs, who have one change, and it's fairly obvious because Ryan Gardner hurt his shoulder and Hayden Crozier is an obvious replacement, surprisingly having to call his Jets and play in the VFL last week, got dropped, but there's like for like. Good work if you can get it, Bulldogs. You finished in the finals, you're a good team, and the fixture comes out, and you've got North Melbourne a couple of times. What did you do the first time you played them at this venue this year? Beat them by north of 120 points. And uh, it's going to be another tough day for North Melbourne because they were bristling and looking for blood last week against West Coast over in Perth. And only inaccuracy cost them from even a more substantial victory. But Bontempelli is, is going as well as anybody in the comp. So he's the... He's the skipper of the ship that's going in the right direction. He's the skipper of the team as well. Aaron Norton is marking as well as any key forward. Bruce, now a very useful foil this season. Waitman, a great addition as a small forward. The midfield, we know, is burgeoning with still Trelaw and Dunkley to come back. And the back line functioning pretty well as well. But most importantly... They are playing, you know what that team is playing like? They're playing like a team that believes they can win a flag. And they're 22 blokes who know that if they put their, put their foot wrong for a couple of weeks, probably save, there's only two or three players, you'd say, are completely with no chance of getting dropped. And I've mentioned them already in this preview. So every player also, a little self-preservation, the way Beveridge runs the, runs the show there. North Melbourne, gutsy last week. I'm looking forward to see Cunnington take on an entire midfield. He's capable of doing it. And I only found out something about him last night, Rowan, because I was watching late night TV. Do you know what I found out? No, I don't know what you found out. He's gone to advance hair and he's, yeah, yeah. That's not all his own feathers. Well, I didn't know you'd found that out, but I did know that. Yeah, I didn't. Nobody told me. I think, uh, (laughs) did he do an ad for them? Yeah, yeah, I saw an ad. Yeah, okay. That's remarkable, really, given uh, he's famous for his reclusiveness in a uh, media sense. Yeah, well, you know, anyhow, he's not the first North Melbourne player to try feathers. I don't think David Hale enjoyed them that much, but then again, Ben Cunnington's playing well with them. North were good last week, good enough to beat uh, Gold Coast, which is absolutely no help in trying to point them to the four points against the Doggies. I'm going to be kind to them, though, because I think they're vastly improved from when they played them last time. They're twice as good. So I'll say that they'll lose by 63 points. All right. I don't know how much I can add to that, really. Uh, I was going to bring up that earlier meeting this season, round three, that was, and 128 points, the margin, still the biggest this season, uh, absolute Barry Crocker for the Roos. And they are <clears throat> absolutely twice as good, at least, I would have thought. I think their form uh, over most of this season has been pretty solid. And they were impressive last week. In fact, that whole three-week stint in Tassie, they were pretty impressive. Should have definitely beaten the Giants. Um, and competitive right throughout the journey. So tough to keep it up against the Bulldogs. I don't think they'll be embarrassed, though. I almost sort of, I don't know, I feel sorry for the fact that they have to come up against the Bulldogs. They deserve more. But a great chance for the Bulldogs just to keep things ticking over. Um, They love the venue. 
their record against North in recent times is very good. In fact, it is six wins out of the last eight meetings going back to their premiership year of 2016. Everything to play for. This is a really, really good chance of a second premiership five years down the track. And you can't afford to slip up in games like this. They won't slip up. I'm going for a more modest margin, not even in the 60-point region. I'm going to go for the Bulldogs by 48 points. That is round nine previewed. That leaves just one segment in this podcast. And it's a segment we absolutely love. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Well, I've struck on a bit of a theme with this segment, finding. I mean, uh, you can choose whatever you like, but uh, this is a third week in a row now. I've gone for a clash of two teams who will play each other this week. Gone through the archives or the archives for Barry Hall and dug up a classic clash between the same two teams. And I didn't have to go too far in this case because those teams are Sydney and West Coast, which actually gives you quite a lot of possibilities in a small window. Do you want to guess which one I'm going with, Finey? Well, I know that you're a huge fan of the 2006 grand final. I'm not saying that that's the one you're going for because they just had, you know, games within a goal of each other non-stop for about five years. Though, I know you love that game because you call it the underrated premiership to beat the band. It is, and it is the one I'm going with. The most underrated grand final in AFL history, in my view, the 2006 grand final, a ripper. Uh, 2005 is the one that gets talked about all the time, but it's basically because of one one mark taken at Siren Time by Leo Barry. Admittedly, a pretty amazing mark. But this was so much a better game. It ebbed and it flowed. West Coast got a big advantage. Sydney came back. Uh, beautiful conditions. Um, a higher level of scoring. It, it had everything this game, including one of the most underrated finishes of all time, to the, to the point where I don't think there's been another grand final, certainly not as far back as I could go, in which five goals have been kicked in the last 12 minutes of a seesawing game. And it's often also forgotten about this game. It was an absolutely epic final quarter in which West Coast held a narrow advantage, Sydney desperately trying to come back. Uh, the other added element, just on a slightly self-indulgent note, finally, was that I was one of the Norm Smith medal judges this day. So uh, a game I watched very, very keenly because I wanted to get those votes right. This was an absolute classic. Could West Coast extract revenge on Sydney for losing the previous year's grand final? Let's cut to a thrilling final turn. Easier said than done as he goes inside 50. From the side was Roberts Thompson. Schneider! 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 Just a bit of hesitation from the Eagles, but Kerr... Doing it on his own. Some help from Selwood. Daniel Kerr, individual effort. Absolutely superb. Virtuoso stuff through the middle. Took on too much in the end. Judd trying to help out. Play on the call. Stendlein, the hurried one. 
got to be tough. Armstrong steps up. them back seven points ahead. Adam Goods for Sydney. Puts them inside 50. Hall has been very quiet. O'Keefe, run down. Kept the ball in play. He's on his wrong side. Right O'Keefe, now on the left. Straightens up towards goal. The Eagles lead Sydney by a point. Could we have a draw? I'll go with it now as the ball's kicked to the 50. Huge pack fly. Stendline. Buchanan put the head down. Got it out to O'Keefe. Oh. Kick smothered. Chick. Running on empty, they all are. Snyder to centre half forward. Teddy Richards, Melcheski, Chick. Oh, he's got it, Teddy! He touched the boots of James Hurd once when he was struggling at Essendon. Is there any magic left on the boots? Into the pocket. He just about found the man, O'Loughlin, not quite. Dean Cox got a bend deep. Did he drop it? Play on. He's still in trouble. O'Loughlin there to swoop. It's still alive for the Swans. Bolton's coming. He's still coming. Bolton. Buchanan was there waiting for it. It's a hot ball in the pocket. He's still going, Buchanan. Out to Malczewski. The young man, Nick Malczewski. He's kept it. Oh, there's one point in a pandemonium at the MCG. Ben Cousins has a bounce, backs himself. Handballs to Fletcher. Eagles maintaining possession. Kerr goes into the middle. Here's the moment for the Swans. Leo Barry's in there. No one taking a backward step. Lynch just manages to get the ball. Waters keeps it alive. Waters is dog tired. Now O'Keefe. The ball comes back to Waters. Now picked up by Fosdyke. Fosdyke's got to get it moving quickly. Kicks to the 50. Dempster's there. Can't take the mark. Glass will see it over. Throw in. There can't be long. There cannot be long to go. What the West Coast match. Eagles lead by a point. Can the Swans do it? Simon! Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? The West Coast Eagles are the premiers. Wow. Gee, there are so many highlights there and interesting moments. I mean, the man that you obviously voted for, as everybody did, to win the Norm Smith, Embley took that great mark and that was beautifully called. Daniel Kerr, as, as the listeners would have heard, he risked the entire season by unthinkably kicking the ball into the centre of the ground from the wing with a minute to go. I mean, what was he thinking? I, I was trying to sort of cast my mind back and thinking, was it that long ago that that was a sensible thing to do? It's never been a sensible thing to do. <laughs> and of course, Hutto, look, I love, I love the, who would have thought the sequel would be as good as the original? Because you can't, a lot of these ending big 
statements, I think, are pre-prepared a bit, Rowan. Yeah. But hard to pre-prepare that one. And I and just knowing how to actually know that that's what came to mind at the time. I think it was pretty good. That's one of my favourite lines, to be honest. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can take your Leo Barry, you star, and I'm not having a go at Stephen Quartermain. That was a great... Uh, articulation of the moment, but just uh, it was such a clever line. Who'd have thought the sequel would be as good as the original? And uh, well, it was. Uh, it wasn't just as good. I think it was actually a lot better. A couple of other things we need to note: uh, amazing smother by Daniel Chick, uh, and then a shepherd to allow Adam Hunter to run into that open goal, and then Nick Malcheski, the man who specialised in kicking either the first or last goal of a grand final. Uh, he did it in 2006 uh, in a defeat, sadly, and he would do it again six years later, uh, memorably sealing that win for Sydney over Hawthorne in what I believe uh, is the best grand final of my lifetime. So Nick Malcheski also kicked the first goal of the 2012 grand final. Final point on this too, uh, you might notice the crowd uh, incredibly loud there. Well, that is all about the level to which the broadcasting network uh, decides to turn up the effects mic. And Channel 10, which did that one, uh, had it up at the appropriate level. Channel 7, to my chagrin, never seems to have the crowd up high enough. And I don't know if it's uh, they're worried you might ignore their commentators totally and tune out and just listen to the crowd or what. But... Uh, you know, a grand final crowd and a close grand final deserves uh, a suitable crowd effects noise and uh, that one delivered. So another reason I like it, even in audio form. All right, Finey, I reckon that one's pretty hard to top. What are you going with? Well, Rowan, I've got to be fair. Last week, I, I knew St Kilda needed some sort of some sort of pump up. So I went back to 89 when they beat Carlton in a great finish. And fair spare, can't always have them winning because this week it's Port Adelaide that had the incredible victory over St Kilda back in 2017. It was a big game because it was towards the end of the season, round 19, and St Kilda were only a game out of the eight, whilst Port Adelaide were a game off the top four. So both teams had to win. Oh, boy, what a finish. Hard to take for St Kilda fans, but hey, take some solace, my fellow Saints. At least our man Paddy Ryder played a key role. Sit back and listen to this one and enjoy, Port fans. Wow, supporters are giving up. They're not even arguing with the freeze anymore. They're walking out the door. They're in the car park. They're filthy. Absolutely filthy. Another lost opportunity here on their home deck. 21 scoring shots to 16. The St Kilda kicked a lot on the full as well. Steel. Sinclair, tumbling ball, bouncing St Kilda's way. Ross knocked it on. Loney after it. Strong tackle on Byrne Jones. Just trying to lock it up as much as they can, but then that kick from Ross does just open the door a bit for the power. The time's certainly against them. Here's Polek. They can go straight up the middle if they want. Boak, unsure where to go. Gives it back for the run of Polek. A lunging chase. The tackle couldn't stick. Long inside, 50. Sport down by Geary. Saints have the numbers. Westhoff had the strength. Young has to finish here. Snaps to goal. Oh. And he does. We're still alive at the Adelaide Oval. Oh, oh, oh. Wow. Come on, Kingy. 
to St Kilda's three. They got Ryder in the ruck. They got their guns in the middle. Let's watch. Saints by four points. Oh. Out of the middle, Ryder knocks it. Dunstan shoveled it up. Oh, the red even. It lands with Polek. The power goes to the 50. Dicks a great spoil. Great spoil by Brown. Pittard followed up. Knocked it away. Oh. Lines went in hard. Sinclair was bumped almost head high. They pile in on top of the football. We're going to get a stoppage and a ball up what now about with just spoil. over 30 seconds. Now, this is when you've got to practice it. St Kilda got one player in their forward half. The rest of their players are gone into defence. 30 seconds to go. The ball in the powers forward line. Ryder slaps it wide to the side of the pack. Billings in there. Robert and had a fumble. Billings recovers. Webster, they can't rush it through here. Carwell just has to clear it out oh, of the air. Straight to the he's line. To pay is that, that deliberate? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, you can't. Oh, they're frozen. They've frozen. They've missed the last three. 19 seconds on the clock. So much riding on this game for the two coaches. Ken Hinckley and Alan Richardson. They can't do anything more from here. They have to just watch and that see how it plays out. Ryder over the back. Oh. In the path of Robbie Gray. He's a superstar for the power. He goes long. Has it got the legs? Yes! Robbie Gray's kicked a big goal. And the power on the cusp of a great victory. Ah, Gray. What a superstar. That is an unbelievable individual performance. The hit from Ryder into space was awesome. The connection and the timing absolutely superb. And away they go. They missed out on the deliberate. That was clearly the only option Carlisle had. Look at the clock. The seven second. Look at that hit over the back. Gray says, you know what? I don't trust anyone else. I'm going myself. I've had no, he's had nine disposals in the last quarter. He is their best player by a mile. And all the Port Adelaide fans that are halfway across the footbridge. Come back. Still some seconds to go. Out of the middle of the power. Trying to hold it up. They look dead and buried. Port Adelaide. But the one. A remarkable comeback from Port Adelaide. They were 10 points down. And come back to steal victory. Oh, heartbreak there for your Saints fighting. Only just got over the line that goal too. What a magnificent bit of ruck work there by Paddy Ryder though in his court guys uh, absolute textbook stuff and Robbie Gray who else would you want with the ball in their hands running in for a match winning or losing shot with uh, the siren just about to go uh, fantastic stuff and the swings and roundabouts eh? St Kilda had a hung on there hey, they gave it a great crack too didn't they I mean five goals won in that last quarter, the Saints, yeah. port, port kick four. But swings and roundabouts, had they hung on and won that game, maybe they might have made finals. And uh, the coaching tenure of Alan Richardson might be viewed entirely differently to how it uh, was ultimately viewed. Yeah, the sliding doors. And unfortunately, St Kilda throughout their history have taken the wrong one. <clears throat> Uh, well, you've got to be fatalistic about it after a history like this, I guess. Uh, that's it. Great flashbacks this week. That is it for this whole episode. Uh, thanks for your company. Uh, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, not our only wonderful sponsors, though, Finey. Would you care to salute the other contributors to this program. How many burger places in Melbourne can say that they're 
a generational legend. I mean, there are grandfathers that go there with their grandsons or, or you know, they leave dad at home. That's how long they've been making great burgers. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Make it part of your living in Melbourne ritual. And if you live in Melbourne, live in something akin to a palace. Turn your home into the envy of your street with West Point Properties. Nick Spartels will come and have a look over what you've got to offer and give you the best advice. West Point Properties. Don't forget also Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis of more than 15 sports across the world, including, of course, the current excitement of Wimbledon and the European Championships coming to their conclusion soon. A couple of amazing games in the Euros over the last couple of days. So Stats Insider give you all the best projections on those world sporting events, as of course they do on AFL. We thank them for their support and we thank you for your support. You can continue to support us at the supporter page, wherever you listen to this podcast or indeed at footyology.com.au where you can link to Patreon, an independent publishing platform where for $7 Australian a month, you can become an official Footyology patron and allow our operation not only to survive, but to thrive as we eat our competitors alive. Well, that's the plan anyway. Hopefully one day we can be big enough to do that. We'll just have a little snack in the meantime, but we are grateful for your support. So please get on board. That's it for this week. Uh, don't forget, of course, Footyology Final Siren, our live stream on Twitter and Facebook after the big Geelong-Essendon game on Friday evening, that on air from 10.45pm. And we'll be back in podcast form to bring you a full rundown on everything that happened in Round 16 on Sunday evening. Stay safe in these COVID-riddled times and we'll catch you later. 